After he had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. When he had come near Bethpage and Bethany at the place called Mount of Olives, he sent two of the disciples saying, go into the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find tied there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Just say this, the Lord needs it. So those who were sent departed and found it as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They said, the Lord needs it. Then they brought it to Jesus, and after throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. As he rode along, people kept spreading their cloaks on the road, and as he was now approaching the path down from the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the deeds of power that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, order your disciples to stop. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the stones would shout out. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. During Lent, we have been looking at the Jesus story through the lens of the, some of the numerous references to rocks or stones that are mentioned in the Gospels. If you've ever been to Jerusalem around the Holy Land, you'll, you'll know that it makes sense. It's a very rocky place. There are stones, large stones, small stones everywhere. Um, we talked about in this series how Jesus uh, confronted those who wanted to throw stones. And we talked about how he claimed that he would build his church on the rock of Peter's confession. Last week, Pastor Kirk shared with us about how we have the call to be living stones. In this text that I just read this morning, it's, if you're around the church, it's a familiar scene. The triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. We hear words like Hosanna. We visually can imagine Jesus riding in on a colt and a donkey. We see palm branches being waved. Luke tells us that they were on the crest, the top of the Mount of Olives. And if you've ever been to Jerusalem or the Holy Land, you know that's a really amazing place. At the real top of the Mount of Olives is the scene where you can look out over the whole uh, old city of Jerusalem. All the famous pictures of Jerusalem are taken from the top of the Mount of Olives. And then you go down into a deep valley and then back up (coughs) to the old city. And it was there that Jesus began this procession and his disciples began to have enthusiasm and they shouted praise over all the mighty works that they had witnessed. Blessed is he who comes in God's name, they said. All is well in heaven. Glory to God in the highest places. Now on the periphery of his disciples, there were some religious leaders, Pharisees. And they did not like this scene at all. It was too spontaneous. It was too boisterous, too loud. And so they said to Jesus, tell them to stop. I mean, I kind of imagine that these Pharisees were kind of of the Presbyterian bend, right? I mean, we're not really used to loud, expressive worship. And, and where is the bulletin, by the way? And where's the order of service? And Did this get approved by session? You know, these kind of things. But they told him to stop and Jesus responded and said, listen, if they stop shouting praise, the very rocks around us we're walking on, they will cry out and shout. 
kind of an odd saying that Jesus has. And I want us to consider it this morning. I mean, I want us to use our imaginations a little bit and ask the question, well, what if these rocks did cry out? What would they say? Sometimes in our world we say, if these walls could talk, right? What would they say? Well, in Jesus' day, when he passed by that day, if those rocks did speak, what would they say to us? What would they say to those who were passing by? I wanted to um, title this sermon, Listen to the Stones. But I thought, you know, like Trip Demery here, that might confuse him a little bit. He's a big Rolling Stones fan, right? Yeah, okay. <laughs> what if we were to listen to the Stones? What would they say? The first thing they would say is that we should praise him. We should give him glory. They would join the chorus. The psalmist says that the earth is the Lord's and all that is in it, that the very trees clap their hands and that all of creation praises the Lord. This is affirmed through our theological and literary tradition that we're in. It takes this idea very seriously. St. Augustine said there is a great book, the very appearance of created things. Look above you, look below you. Martin Luther said God writes the gospel not in the Bible alone, but he also writes it in trees and in the flowers and the clouds and the stars. Henry David Thoreau said my profession is to be always on the alert to find God in nature. Emily Dickinson, the poet, penned, she said, the hill, the afternoon, squirrel, eclipse, the bumblebee, nay, nature is heaven, she said. I love how John Calvin put it. He said, creation is quite like a spacious and splendid house provided and filled with the most exquisite and the most abundant furnishings. Everything in it tells us of God. Think about that. Everything in nature teaches us and tells us about God. My mentors in college, a man named Dale Bruner said, he talked about that verse in Colossians that says, all things were created in and through Jesus. And he says, if we really consider that, if we really think through that, all things were created in and through Jesus. That means every molecule, every atom in your body has a seal of approval on it with the letters JC. Seal of approval. All things were created through and by him. And it makes sense that all things are, are bent towards giving him praise because he's so good, he's so holy, he's, he, he is beautiful, pure beauty, pure truth. The words of the, the hymn, all nature sings and round me rings the music of the spheres. Have you ever sat at the shore at the beach and just listened to the, the wild music of waves pounding on the shore? Have you ever just considered and listened close to that never-ending rhythm that just keeps coming? And have you ever thought that this is a, maybe a, a, a chorus line in heaven? It's a rhythm that God created into being. Or what about in a mountain stream? Have you ever listened to the rippling sound of water coming down, cascading over rocks, and how wonderful that sound is? Or maybe wind coming through trees. If you have ears to hear, you might even hear the rocks singing praises to God for his majesty, for his creation. I think the rocks would tell us, listen close. 
listen very close to the music that's around us that declares God's beauty and majesty. I think the second thing the rocks would cry out is they would tell us and remind us how important it is to watch and look very closely at Jesus. And they might also give us a warning and they might say, you're going to be tempted to miss this because there will be bigger parades. There will be more impressive parades in one sense. And this little band of followers with palm branches saying, Hosanna, you might miss what's actually going on here today. Please watch him. He, he is going to be the most influential person in all of human history. He's actually at the center of all human history. It may not look like it, but he told us if he be lifted up, he will draw all men and women to himself. Now, part of the problem with the Palm Sunday story is we know it well, and we're apt to look right past the fact that Jesus actually orchestrated this whole event. <clears throat> he planned it. He, he told disciples, this is the road we're going to walk down. I want you to go get this colt and untie it and bring it here, and I'm going to ride on it. And this is what our procession is going to look like. It was orchestrated. And he did it for effect. He did it for a reason. We might look right through the obvious fact that this whole Palm Sunday scene is one grand and deeply ironic parody on power. There are two kinds of power out there. First, there is coercive power, outward power, enforced, mandatory, do-it-or-else power that is often violent, certainly fearful. We see that power on display every night when we watch the news and we see what's happening in Ukraine. Submit or else power. It uses force. Its mantra is might is right. But there's also a non-coercive power. Inward power, voluntary, do it if you choose power. On Palm Sunday, Jesus dramatically enacted his definitive choice to exercise the latter kind of power, inward, non-coercive. And he did it that day, and it's been going on not only in Jerusalem that day, but over all of human history for 2,000 years. These rocks would have seen other parades. They would have seen the Babylonian army come in, and their leader was Nebuchadnezzar, and they had force and might and terror, and they... they leveled the city of Jerusalem. They would have seen Alexander the Great come through with his armies and his conquest of the, the known world at the time, and it was violent and awful. These rocks would have seen Herod come into the city, and he brought his riches, and he brought his power, and all of it. And it would have been large and grand and noisy, but these rocks would tell us, don't put your eyes there. Watch what Jesus is doing. See what he's about and what he's about to do. No one in history has used power the way Jesus did and does. His influence, because of it, has no bounds. The coercive power people keep trying. They keep destroying lives. And sadly, let's be honest, we 
We keep looking to them to find a new leader that will use power in a way that will clean everything up, change the political course of events. You know, if you've ever spent a little bit of time around a barnyard or a chicken house, some of you grew up on a farm, you know this. Or if you're like me and you've spent a lot of time in the petting zoo at Mountain View Presbyterian Church. It's one of my favorite things. Yesterday, we had a petting zoo right outside the sanctuary. You might have noticed um, the behavior of chickens. And do you know that, that roosters and hens look a lot alike, but they're very, very different. Um, they're very different. A, a rooster is not to be trifled with. He can defend himself. He can attack aggressively with, with sharp spikes on the back of his feet with a pointed beak. He is fast and agile. Um, for many thousands of years, people have trained roosters to fight each other. It's violent. It's ugly. It's awful. Um, one day, Jesus was looking out over Jerusalem, and he wept because they kept looking to coercive power as the way forward. And they were missing what he was doing. And he wept over the people, and he said, oh, if, if I could just like a mother hen, bring you under my wings and protect you. It's interesting. He used the metaphor of a hen. He didn't say, like a rooster, I will protect you. He said, like a mother hen. Sometimes I think we wish he had said rooster. Sometimes I think the whole vast sweep of Christian history is an attempt to pretend that he said rooster. But he said, hen, I love the way Barbara Brown Taylor describes this. She said, Jesus likened himself to a brooding hen whose chief purpose in life is to protect her young. She doesn't have talons or much of a beak. All she can do is fluff herself up and sit on her chicks. She can also put herself between them and the fox, as ill-equipped as she is, at the very least, she can hope that she satisfies his appetite so that he leaves her babies alone. Jesus said, that's the way I protect my children. Think about that. He doesn't attack. He doesn't hit back. He doesn't use violence or force or worldly power. He says, I put myself vulnerable and willing to be even killed for my children so they will be protected. It's an amazing thing. Because of that, Jesus had disciples. Herod had soldiers. Jesus served. Herod ruled. Jesus prays for his enemies. Herod kills his enemies. In a contest between a fox and a chicken, whom would you bet on? Most of us would vote on bet on the chick on the fox. But human history has not proven that out. I mean, it's a hard lesson to learn and to see in the heat of the moment. I mean, who would have bet on the Christians when they huddled in the middle of the Roman Colosseum with a hundred thousand screaming Roman citizens? cheering for their martyrdom? Who would have bet that they would have, this movement that they were along to would, would last and continue as they were martyred? 
Who would have bet on the monks when the Vikings invaded and killed everyone in sight? Who would have bet on a gentle German pastor by the name of Dietrich Bonhoeffer instead of the regime that called itself the Thousand-Year Reich? Whose regime has lasted and whose has ended? The fox and the hen, the strange power of love. And it's the job of us in the church to live faithfully in a world that will always bet on the former. We keep doing it. We keep looking for it. But Jesus wanted us to enact the kind of love and power that he embodied and that he modeled. It's pretty amazing if you think about it. I mean, it's amazing if you think about how often Jesus is talked about in our world. He was born 20 centuries, 21 centuries ago now, and to an impoverished couple in an obscure village. A few hundred people ever met him personally. A few thousand people ever heard him speak. He never traveled outside of his region. He didn't write a book. He didn't lead an army. He didn't govern a nation. He didn't even have a home. What are the odds that we would be here today, so many churches around the globe, and still talking about this man? 2,000 years later, that name has inspired the founding of more universities and hospitals and cities. The creation of more art, the writing of more songs has moved more people to sacrifice their finances, their possessions, their careers, travel halfway around the world, even give up and sacrifice their lives than any other name in history. It's not even close. Have you ever been to a a university founded on the name of Nebuchadnezzar (laughs) or Herod? You haven't. It's amazing to think about his influence and the way he used his power was to give his life over. It was self-giving. It was loving. It was sacrificial. The rocks would tell us, watch his way. Look close at what he does. And then thirdly, lastly, I think they would say, now put your hope in him. We've seen Herod come through here. We've seen Alexander. We've seen them all. Don't trust them. Put your hope, put your trust in this one, this Jesus. Not any person, not anything. Put your trust in him. When our youngest daughter Haley was little, one and two years old, she had a security blanket that she held on to for dear life. Um, we, we called it the bee for blanket. And she had an older brother and older sister who would tease her about this. And sometimes they would grab the bee and cause her to crease, cry. And you know, you know how brothers and sisters tease, they would do this. But it quickly became really apparent in our house that there was one big rule. You don't ever touch the bee. No one is ever allowed to touch the bee. You're not even allowed to look at the bee. I mean, this was hers. It was her security blanket. I mean, that became the rule of this house. One day, Julie was driving, and our oldest son, Andrew, who has autism, was in the front seat. And Haley was in the back seat in her car seat. And as sometimes happens with autistic kids, Andrew had a, what we call in the special needs community, a classic meltdown. These are not good. Meltdowns, you don't know why they occur. You don't know the reason, but it's a lot of screaming. 
It's a lot of crying. It's incredibly stressful. And Julie's driving down the road. Andrew's in the front seat having a meltdown. And out of the back seat came a small arm with a blanket to say, here, this is for you. And she let go of it as if to say, Andrew, you need this more than me. What happened 2,000 years ago is that God saw our hurt. He sees our meltdowns, our pain, our crying. And he gave. He gave us what was most precious. He gave us everything. Out of love, he saw that our hearts were broken. He gave us his greatest gift. You know, the Apostle Paul thought about this. And he wrote these amazing words. He says, it was like too big of a concept for him to even grasp. He goes, what are we going to say about this? It's too good and too big and too amazing to even bring words. He goes, what do we say that God would do this for us? He said, if God is for us like this, then who possibly could be against us? He who did not withhold his own son, but gave him up for all of us, will he not with him give us everything else? It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. Jesus' influence, his power, comes because he gives his life away. And he calls us to follow him. Living sacrificial lives outward focused there's great power in that when you give yourself away we can have great influence on our world one day this Jesus is going to bring all things to completion friends this week my charge to you is I want you to listen to the stones listen to what they have to teach us and say So I want you to come at noon each day this week. We're going to gather here in our sanctuary. Uh, Just for a half hour, we're going to hear the story again, and we're going to sing. I invite you to read our Lenten devotionals this week, to come on Thursday night when we weep and we marvel at such love. And then on Friday evening, we will look and contemplate the cross, the great center of human history where love was poured out. I invite you to go out this week into nature and listen to the wild music being orchestrated by the heavenly host and just marvel and sing along and praise when the birds are chirping and the wind is coming through. And this week, let us marvel and weep over a Savior who went to the cross for us. Let's listen close. Let me pray. Lord, we're grateful that you entered this holy city that day in such humble fashion to teach us about the ways of your kingdom that at the center of your kingdom is sacrifice and giving and love. Well, Lord, we live in a world full of coercive power, violence, and fear. 
Help us choose the way and the path of Jesus and to trust in him. And then this week, Lord, may your spirit inspire us to once again renew our faith, our wonder, and our awe at how good you are. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.